Happy Mother's Day. My name is Spencer. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, so we're going to continue to walk through the book of Exodus. That means we're continuing to walk through the Ten Commandments, uh, which is Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be in verse 15 today. We're going to be in the Eighth Commandment. So uh, my wife was upstairs cleaning out our youngest daughter's room a few weeks back, and she started to discover some toys that had been hidden all throughout the room. And uh, it wasn't all that weird except for the fact that those were not her toys. <laughs> she had been going into her siblings' rooms and just taking whatever her heart desired. And which is impressive if you think about it because, uh, you know, she's rarely upstairs by herself. She's usually up there with her siblings. That means she found gaps of time where we weren't up there and where her siblings weren't up there. And she's going upstairs and she was collecting everything she wanted from Buzz Lightyear to play makeup. I mean, she had collected quite the loot. This was an impressive heist for a three-year-old. She just saw what she wanted, and she took it. Now listen, uh, that wasn't learned behavior. Uh, she is not just—I I don't go around the house taking my wife's stuff and hiding it in my closet. That's just—that may be what you do in your household, but as for me in my household, that's not what we do. She didn't learn that. That was innate behavior. That's just something that she decided to do herself. So we've had a teacher and continue to teach her since then, the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. <laughs> what compels a three-year-old to do that? What's going on in her heart that she sees something that is not hers and takes it for herself? We're going to look at that. We're going to look at all the different ways we can break the Eighth Commandment. Uh, we're going to look at the purpose really behind this commandment, and ultimately we're going to see where our hope uh, should be in order that we might obey this commandment well. So let me pray for us, then we'll walk through this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel, that you are the king over all things, and you are sovereign over all of creation, and that includes every possession. God, I pray that you would help us receive your word this morning, that we might be a people that don't just hear the word, but do the word. And in line with that, we would walk this out in faith and in repentance uh, and in uh, delighting in you over all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing we're going to see today as we walk through this commandment, you shall not steal, is the purpose of the eighth commandment. The purpose of the eighth commandment. We as we were walking through the Ten Commandments, we've said this a few times, that the Ten Commandments, the first four, are exclusively vertically focused. It is how we worship the one true God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Uh, the next six commandments still involve that, how we actually honor and worship the Lord through obeying these commandments, but they have horizontal implications, that it affects your neighbor. And then in each of these commandments on the back six, if, you, uh, if, if society, if culture would take these seriously and obey them, that it would be better, that, that culture would be better, that people would be able to flourish collectively as men and women made in the image of God. That if you honor your mother and father and you learn that foundational respect, that 
uh, shapes how we have relationships with other people and the respect we give to one another. That if you uh, obey the commandment that you shall not murder, A, uh, that's good because we don't die, but B, it establishes some mutual trust that your neighbor's not going to kill you. That it, we saw last week that if you uh, obey the commandment that you shall not commit adultery, that we can trust one another with our spouses. And when it comes to this commandment, you shall not steal that it's foundational for. I can trust my neighbors with my possessions, that I can trust my neighbors with my things. And this is foundational for the people of God. Because we've got to remember, they are currently, as they're receiving this teaching, they're walking and wandering in the wilderness. And, if they're, and as they're wandering in the wilderness, they're living in tents, which aren't very secure. Right? Anyone can just go into your tent, take whatever they want for themselves. They need to be able to trust their neighbors. But that's not going to happen. When they go and, uh, when they go and settle the promised land and each tribe gets a, a, a parcel that's divided up amongst a bunch of clans and families, that they need to be able to trust each other with their lands, with their neighboring lands, that your sheep can just wander into their fields and it's not going to be taken. It's foundational for trust with one another so that the people of God can live in harmony with one another. That's why this commandment is important. And that gets reinforced throughout the rest of the law and the rest of the Bible. In Exodus 22, 1, it says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Which when you look at that, two things stand out. First, uh, personal property is not in and of itself bad at all. It's not, it's not bad to have personal property. In fact, God has protections built into the law so that you might be able to protect your personal property. And then the second thing, in the anticipation of sinful violations of this, that he understands the people of God are going to sin, they're going to steal what is not theirs, that he's got provisions in the law to make someone whole if something is stolen, to provide restitution. That if your uh, sheep ends up with another person, with a neighbor, and you say, wait a second, that's my sheep. I know it by its leg. It's got that spot. That's, that belongs to me. And then you find out that he took that. And he sold, that, that was taken and sold to him. You go to the person who, who stole it, and you're able to actually enforce restitution, 4X, 5X, depends on what type of animal it is. But the Old Testament law has this built in that, that you will make someone whole, and not just whole, but then some as punishment for violating the trust of your neighbors. This idea continues in Exodus 27. It says, if a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it is stolen from the man's house... Then, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. That again, if someone steals something and they're caught, and this is proven, they're, they're, they're going to they're pay up and they're going to pay double to make you whole for what was stolen from you, but also to teach them a lesson about stealing, whether it's different types of property, 2X, 4X, 5X. God is going to make uh, the people pay for what they have stolen. Now, what's important to note is that this is different from some of the previous commandments in that the stealing of personal property, of possessions and material possessions, does not call for capital punishment. 
that we've seen in other places in the law, that if you murder, there's capital punishment. If you commit adultery, there's capital punishment built into the law. But if you steal possessions, that's not the case. And that's very different from the other surrounding ancient Near Eastern cultures. The surrounding ancient Near Eastern cultures actually require life for stealing. And God values life over personal possessions. That's very important to to, let that sink into our very American hearts. That God values life over personal property and does not require blood for it, which is different than ancient Near Eastern cultures. And should, that should be impressed upon us as good Western Americans who value personal property so much. However, that changes if you steal people. If you steal people, in Deuteronomy 24, 7, it says, if a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So, we're going to deal with the subject matter of slavery in the Bible as it shows up in a few chapters in a few weeks. We'll deal with that more extensively then. But you see right here that if you're going to forcibly take one of your brothers and force them into slavery, sell them into slavery, then your life will be required. God will not tolerate that amongst his people. This is reminiscent of what happened to Joseph in the book of Genesis as he was forced into slavery by his brothers. That will not be tolerated in the, in amongst God's people. For God's people to live in harmony, they need to be able, they need to, be able to uh, trust one another that they're not going to be violently enforced into slavery. So that's the one bit of capital punishment you see for Stealing. The rest of the Old Testament law is going to continue to. The rest of the, the Bible is going to teach this. It's going to teach this about the possessions that are stolen, the shame that it's brought to the person. There's going to be lots of different teachings that enforce these same ideas over and over again so that the people of God can live in harmony with one another. So that's the importance of the Eighth Commandment and the purpose of it amongst the people of God. Now, you might think, okay, I got the message. I will check the box. I'm not into five-finger discounts. You're going to call the band up? How, how are we ending this? I got, we got Mother's Day brunch coming up. If you've been here as we've walked through the Ten Commandments, this may feel familiar. It's a little more complicated than just that. And it's a little more, it's a little bigger than just that idea of just physically stealing something that is not yours. So, the next thing I want us to do is I want us to look at the moral and ethical implications of the Eighth Commandment. The moral and the ethical implications of the Eighth Commandment. So, you shall not steal sits at the forefront of the law, and the rest of the law and the rest of the Bible is going to be pulling that thread through in different directions. It's going to be talking about uh, issues of integrity as it relates to theft, Throughout the wisdom literature into the New Testament, you're going to see this over and over and over again. That helps you see that it is bigger than just taking what is not yours physically. And the church has understood this for thousands of years. There are different teachings throughout the church history that, that expound upon this idea that it's just, it's bigger than simple theft. One of those teachings is the Westminster Confessional Catechism. Uh, in that catechism, in the question and answer, it gets to uh, uh, violations of the Eighth Commandment. And then it lists out, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but it lists out 
a ton of violations of the Eighth Commandment. I mean, it goes from, from robbery and, and theft, man-stealing, and then it goes through a bunch of different things. Receiving anything that was stolen. If you, if you receive something that was stolen, you are in violation of the Eighth Commandment. It deals with fraudulent dealing, false weights and measures. That's shady business dealings. Removing landmarks. That deals with real estate and shady real estate dealings, corrupt contracts, extortion, usury, which is unjust interest, similar to what we see in in, uh, payday loans and title loans, which are insidious as they prey upon the poor. That's stealing, bribery, vexation lawsuits. That's frivolous lawsuits. That's you get in a fender bender and you're fine, and you step out of the car, and you hold your back, and you dial all nines. That's stealing. Unjust enclosures and depopulations, that's evicting people unjustly, or pillaging their land unjustly, engrossing commodities to enhance the price. This is back in the 1600s. You see some of these were then, and they still are now. I mean, back in 2020, engrossing commodities to enhance the price. That was the name of the game when the, when the pandemic hit. So all these people collect toilet paper and hand sanitizer and try to sell it for a bigger price, and that is stealing. It's a violation of the Eighth Commandment. We see this over and over again. I'm going to stop there. It goes down for a lot of different offenses as you walk through this. And when you start to understand the issues of integrity and theft that deal with a wide spectrum, a wide array of activities, you start to realize, wow, there are a lot of things that we don't consider stealing that when you look at the grand picture of the Bible and how it deals with personal property and theft that absolutely show this is a problem. So let me just list a few that are prevalent in our culture of moral and ethical violations of the Eighth Commandment. Downloading illegal music, television, movies. I mean, back in the 2000s when I, I, when I, when I was in middle school, that's when like high-speed internet started to come online and, uh, and LimeWire and Napster, and we just stole Everything we could get our hands on. We downloaded all the music we could. Started burning mixtapes for that girl that wasn't going to like your music. With stolen music, because you're stealing from the artist. They put their hard work and labor into that, and you stole it from them. And that's what we do, and we don't think about that. Not paying for streaming by borrowing a login That's something we don't think about. And you should read the fine print. That's something that we've had to think about in our household this week with the different logins we've got. It's like, oh no, some of these have fine print agreements that it's like, no, you're not supposed to share this. You're not paying for this service and you're defrauding that company and you're stealing. Plagiarism. Plagiarism is stealing from authors and representing that as your work, which is going to become increasingly complicated and more tempting with artificial intelligence and chat GPT and just being able to let a computer do all the work for you and you represent it as your thoughts. That's that's stealing. It's not yours. What's your original idea? This is cheating on our taxes. 
Cheating on our taxes. You might think, oh, it's the government. They're so big, and taxation is theft anyways. Well, it's still wrong, and if you don't like it, you can go to another country, but that, you're stealing from the government if you don't report what you actually make, if you do all the different ways that you can cheat the government. That's stealing. Insurance fraud is stealing. There are lots of different ways you can defraud insurance companies. And in doing that, you're defrauding the insurance company, but you're also defrauding the collective insured public, which is us. The reason that insurance costs so much in our country is not just because we have lots of accidents. It is because we work the system, and we all end up paying for it in the end. This is shady business deals, corrupt business practices. Martin Luther back... Uh, in the Protestant Reformation, he said, a person steals not only when he robs a man's strong box or his pocket, but also when he takes advantage of his neighbor at the market, in a grocery shop, a butcher stall, wine and beer cellar, workshop, or in short, wherever business is transacted and money is exchanged for goods and labor. There are lots of different ways in business dealings that you can steal and violate this Eighth Commandment. This is buying bootlegged items, you might think, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. Gucci's huge. It's like, yeah, but you're still stealing from them. Buying bootlegged items. This is clocking in and not working. That you clock in, you have a, a, a contract, whether it's verbal or written with your employer. You're supposed to work and you do nothing throughout the day. That's stealing from your employer. Or you reverse it. Wage theft. If you're an employer and you employ individuals and you have an agreement with them and you don't pay them what you agreed upon or you hire someone to do a job at your house and you don't pay them what you agreed upon, you might think, but they didn't do it perfectly, exactly in this way that I wanted. You understand that's wage theft. This is a problem in the New Testament. In the book of James, chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That back then, you're hiring people to work the land and not paying them what was agreed upon, and that reaches the ears of the Lord. And he sees that, and he's not okay with that. That wage theft is a problem. This also deals with not working if you are able to. If you're an able-bodied individual who can work and you don't, you are stealing. That's the position of the New Testament. That was a problem in the New Testament. Ephesians 4, people were doing this. They were relying upon the generosity of the church community. And it gets addressed. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may, be, he may have something to share with anyone in need. The idea being there that if you're able to work and you don't, and you rely upon the generosity of your community, whether that is a, your church community or that is the government, that you're actually robbing from those, and you should rather work so that you might be able to be generous to others who cannot work. This is as easy as going to a restaurant and ordering water and getting a Coke. Going to the fountain machine and getting a Diet Coke. And you might think, oh, but it's, it's not a big deal. That's just going to cost them 30 cents. They're charging me 250 for it. 
Well, guess what? Restaurants have very thin margins. That's how they make their money is off of drinks like that. That's why a lot of them shut down and don't make it. And that's also why we get those little annoying baby cups. I order a water and I got to go refill it eight times. You know why? It's not because they're afraid to give you too much water. It's because they, they know that people take those cups and go get other drinks. And now we're all stuck drinking little tiny half pint waters. It's just obnoxious. <laughs> this is buying a tool from Lowe's and returning it after you've used it. Because Lowe's will take anything back. They don't care. I mean, the stuff, when I got to return stuff, I look in that line and, and I see some of that stuff. I'm like, bro, dude, you didn't even try. That tool is mangled, man. Like, that's, you've absolutely destroyed that. And guess what? You might think it's Lowe's. They make billions of dollars. But it's stealing because they got to take that tool, they got to mark it down, and it ends up in the clearance bin where I will go find it later. Maybe not. If I think about the ethical implications for that, that might be buying stolen property. I don't know. I'll have to think through that later. <laughs> Borrowing a tool from a friend and never returning it. Borrowing anything from a friend and never returning it. You're stealing from your friend. I'll give you one last one. No, two more. Not disclosing defects on your property in a real estate transaction. Big one. Happens all the time. You might think, it's not that big of a deal. It is. Because if they go to resell that property and they find out later about it, A, they could sue you and they would win if they could prove it. B, when they go to sell that property, they have to disclose that. And that affects the value of the property. And you've defrauded them of thousands of dollars. Now, end with this one. This is... Uh, Chet Phillips, other, one, other pastor who preaches up here, his brother Logan used to be part of our church. One time he was at a fast food restaurant and he ordered. And, uh, and the woman said, listen, in honor of my daughter's birthday, I'm teaching her generosity. It's on the house. He was like, oh, okay. And he, he drove a little bit and stopped and went, huh? Went back around. And he got to the window and said, hey, so... Like, did your daughter pay for this, or did you pay for this? She said, no, 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 it's, it's on the house. Like, it's just this, the, it's the, the restaurant. He said, okay, well, that's not generosity. That's stealing. <laughs> You're stealing from, your, from the restaurant. Like, that's, they, they, they paid for that. She's like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, they, they, this, this restaurant makes tons of money. He's like, no, I'm paying for this. And he did. And then a few months later, the restaurant shut down. I kid you not, shut down. Now, I don't know if it's because her, it was her daughter's birthday every day or what. Like, I don't know. But it matters so much. There's so many ways we can violate the Eighth Commandment. So many ways. And some of you may have not even, need that, you may have not even needed that list. Some of you may have a hidden sin where you actually do just physically steal things. Maybe it's compulsive Maybe you see it as just, I need this, but you actually just physically steal things. And whether it's that or all these other violations, it has to be brought into the light. It has to be brought into the light. Because what we don't understand is, is that these violations of the Eighth Commandment, and this is the third thing I want us to see today, is that stealing corrupts community. 
Stealing corrupts community. And that matters immensely as a people that seek to try to live in harmony with one another. Y'all, the reason you have locked doors and security systems, that's symptomatic of a culture that doesn't fundamentally trust one another. That shows we don't trust each other because I have door locks and I have security systems. It shows that we don't trust one another. And that's a problem that corrupts our ability to collectively trust each other and live in harmony. There are billions of dollars spent on, thre- on theft uh, prevention every year in America. Billions of dollars. I mean, it's a cottage industry to be able to help you keep your stuff from getting stolen. That's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to live in that much fear of having our stuff stolen all the time. There are billions of dollars that companies budget to lose every year because they're going to have stuff stolen from them. My stepdad has a, has a, a, a body shop, a repair shop. And it's a part of it, like he expects this every year, that he's going to have catalytic converters stolen off of this lot every year because people come in and steal. And every business has to account for that kind of stuff. Actually, one of the problems that happens, especially in retail, is that it's not just customers you have to worry about. It's your own employees. That employees steal from employers all the time, billions of dollars every year. Items, cash, you name it. So employers can't trust their employees. And employees can't trust their employers because wage theft is a real thing. So it's, a, it's a real thing that employers take advantage of employees all the time and steal from their wages and do corrupt practices. And a lot of, a lot of employees don't have the power to fight that. So they just take it. And billions of dollars are stolen from them every single year. It's a problem. Billions of dollars wasted. Lots of mistrust. I mean, it's just all over the place. I mean, aren't... Aren't you tired of having 10 different passwords that you got to rotate and change all, like every month? Y'all, I'm 34, relatively long, young, grew up with technology, and it's hard for me to keep up. I just, I, it just, just all the different security measures and two-party verification and, and, and what is this, how many streetlights are in this picture and, and, and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's just, so you boomers, I feel bad for you. I mean, just... <laughs> I mean, just it's always changing all these security measures. Why? Because people steal from each other all the time. And we can't trust one another at all. Are you tired of living in a culture that does this? Are you tired? I mean, one of the things I'm tired of is if I meet someone, I have to prove I'm trustworthy before they'll ever trust me. And that is the name of the game. You're not going to trust somebody when you first meet them. That trust has got to be earned. That's not the way this is supposed to be. It's not. Stealing does this. Theft does this. And any of those violations of the Eighth Commandment that I walked through earlier, when we do any of those, we contribute to the problem. We're the ones that make this collectively, this culture, less trustworthy, that we can't live in harmony 
one day the good news is that the new heavens, the new earth, you won't have to lock your door anymore. But until then, society is stained by stealing. And that's how this will continue to be. So, I might receive all of that and go, oh, man, I gotta stop buying tools out of the clearance bin at Lowe's. Like, I, <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta think through this. I gotta change. I gotta, I gotta change this behavior. And while that might be a good, understandable instinct, that's not enough. Because we can't just change our behavior. That's behavior modification. We've got to ask the tough questions of why we do this in the first place. We've got to understand why we actually steal in the first place. In order to do that, you've got to get to the root of your thievery. We have to get to the root of our thievery and why we steal in the first place. When I was five years old, my grandma, my Grammy and I, we were, we were at the drugstore, and we were near the checkout, and I saw candy. And instead of looking at my sweet Grammy, who would have bought me anything, I said, I want it. And I looked around, and I, I said, I want it, and I can take it right now. And I reached out, and I grabbed it, and I put it in my pockets. I was like, I could take this. It's mine. And I got out to the car and I opened it up. And she said, where'd you get that candy from? What, what compels a five-year-old or a three-year-old or any of us to steal? We steal when we see something we think we should have. I deserve this. That should belong to me. So to realize that when you go deeper into stealing, it's closely linked to covetousness we'll get to in the 10th commandment, that you shall not covet seeing something and desiring that so much so that you would take it for your own. It's a fundamental lack of contentment, that we are not content with the things that we have, with the tax bracket that we are in, that we should have a lifestyle that is better than that. And if I have to take by force to get it, I will and it's a fundamental misunderstanding of how possessions work in the first place. Especially because what we'll do is we'll justify it to ourselves. We'll, we'll say, I, I'm just, this company makes billions of dollars. The government is huge. I'm not really hurting anyone by taking this. And we don't realize that everything, everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. So you're taking what isn't yours, and more importantly, you're taking what ultimately belongs to God as a people who are not content with what we have. And then we'll justify it in a lot of different ways. And the reason we do that is because of covetousness, but also because of greed that we just desire. We desire and we want and we want and we want and we have greedy hearts that want a lifestyle that we cannot afford. I should, you know what, I've got student loans. I should, it's not a big deal if I stream this platform and I'm not paying for it. And we'll justify it. I won't, be, I, I, just, I, I just can't, I, I pay all my bills and I do this and I do that and I just want a few luxuries. What's the big deal? It's my cash 
and I earned it. And the government shouldn't tax me like this anyways. They can't trace it, and it's mine, and I will keep my cash earnings. And we'll justify it because we desire a lifestyle that we covet, that we're greedy for. And then when you get even beneath the surface on that, you start to ask questions about what are the, what's the idolatry beneath the surface even on that. You start to see some deeper idols. We talk about this in our church. You've been around as long as there's deeper, deeper idols beneath the surface. That as we're asking these questions, we start to st- realize why it is that I want the things that I want. And I'll take it by force to get it. We have to ask those questions and get deeper and deeper into why we steal in the first place. And then when we do that, and then we see that we have violated the Eighth Commandment over and over and over again. The last thing is we get to value Christ above all else. That's the remedy. That's the remedy to our thieving hearts is valuing Christ above anything else in this world. To believe what we said at the very beginning, we say every week, that Jesus is better than everything else. It's believing that with all of our hearts, that Jesus is so supremely better than any material possession I could have in this life. I don't want anything else. I want Christ. I want him. I want to behold him. I want to do what he tells me to do because what he says is ultimately better. I have no regrets about missing out on anything in this world. Y'all, when I, my wife and I get to do fine dining once or twice a year, go to Bodhi Thai in Lexington or or Saluda's in Five Points. When I go to Saluda's, I get the best thing on the menu every time, without question. It's the citrus agave brined pork chop with Brussels sprouts and Gouda bacon mac and cheese. It's the best dish, hands down, I order it every time. And when I get it, I'm not looking around the restaurant going, oh man, what'd they get? Oh, I could have had that. Oh, you know what? That over there is good. Oh man, I want that. You know why? Because I got the best dish and I'm eating it, and it's delicious. And I'm satisfied because what I have is better than anything else in the restaurant. And when you have Christ, you realize that there's nothing else in this world that compares. I'm not looking around, comparing, and seeing what else is out there because I have Christ. And he's wonderful. And he lived the life I couldn't live, and he died the death on the cross that I deserve, and he rose from the grave to give me endless life, and he ascended to the right hand of God that I might enjoy him forever. He's just better. And I value him above anything else this world has to offer. And when you can see that and believe that, then you can apply some of his teachings to help us not be people that cover other things that we might steal. You can listen to his teaching in Matthew 6, When he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. So store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Don't, Don't live for treasures here where they'll rust and where thieves who desire and covet it will come in and steal it. Don't do that. Store up treasures in heaven for where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. For where my treasure is with Christ, my heart will be there. And my heart is there, and I'm not concerned with the things that are here. 
And when he goes on in verse 24 to say, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other. or He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That when you believe that and you value Christ and you seek to serve him as master above all else, that when luxuries and things in this life are dangled in front of you, you won't be as tempted to go, I want that. You won't be as tempted to say, I'm going to take that and not pay for it. It's believing the gospel, believing that Christ is supremely better. And once we've oriented ourselves to that truth, there are three quick things that we should do. The first is we should repent. We should repent of the ways that we have stolen. We should consider our hearts and look at all the ways that we have stolen. And that might mean turning yourself into work. That might mean turning yourself into the police. But we are called to repent of stealing. And the second is we're called to restore. To restore what we have stolen. To make restitution. Some of you might need to go and make a phone call. Some of you might need to reach out to a business. But we need to make whole what we have taken we should repent we should restore and the last is we should grow in generosity we should be a people that practice the teaching that jesus gives us and we should grow in being a generous people that don't love the things of this world but freely give it away i don't need this i don't want this I want to give to others. I love what one theologian says. He says, he says, every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. He says, regular giving is a de-deification. It takes the God out of money and therefore takes the God out of things. That we might regularly be a people that freely give away that we might ultimately delight in whom is our ultimate treasure so that we can joyfully obey the eighth commandment. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us be a people that do not love the things of this world more than you. That you would help us ultimately believe that you are better and out of that belief we will be a people that do not steal. Help us, Lord. Help us repent. Help us follow you. Help us have faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Band's going to come up, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that was broken for you. He said, the cup of the new covenant, he said, this is my blood that was shed for you, that as often as you eat and drink this, you proclaim my death until I return. And as the people of God, we get to be a people that believe that. We have stolen. We have stolen. Some of us keep stealing. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died for thieves. He joyfully laid down his life for our thieving hearts. And we get to confess our sin before we come to the table and be reminded that his death covers our thieving hearts and our thieving actions. And if you're a Christian, we invite you to come to the table 
and remember the good news of the gospel that covers our sin. But if you're not a Christian, we don't want you to come to this table. We want you to value Christ above everything else. We want you to trust in him, to place your faith in him. It doesn't matter what you've stolen. It doesn't matter what you've done. The grace of our God is greater. And if you come to him in faith, his blood will cover you, and he will set you apart to be a, a man or a woman that loves him over anything this world has to offer.